Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. We're good now? All right. Amen. Well, good morning, church family, and good morning to those viewing online. A blessing to be here. We came in from Minnesota. We, uh, I was born and raised in Minnesota, so you're not too far from where I began. And uh, But both Deb and I are from Alaska, so we've already had a good time speaking with some of you, and good to be here. Your pastor and I go back a long, long ways. I didn't meet him when he was single. <laughs> Were you still single? All right. Well, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I, I forgot that, brother. That's how far ago, it, long ago it was. Well, good to be here with you. Take your Bibles this morning. I want to teach a little lesson out of the book of Luke. Go to the book of Luke. And if you need a handout, I do have a handout and or a pen. Just raise your hand. If you're online, sorry, we can't help you. But uh, if you're here in person, I'd like to go ahead and give out a little handout. The thought I have is entitled, The Principles of the Harvest. Three Principles of the Harvest. So just slip your hand up if you need a pen, or if you need the handout. Luke chapter 8 is where I want to read. Luke chapter 8. And I want to begin in verse number 4. Luke chapter 8, verse number 4. You follow along as I read Bible says, and when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ, spake by a parable. And here's the parable. Here's the story. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to just share a thought this morning for Sunday school. I think is very appropriate for the days in which we live. The responsibility we have as God's people I've simply entitled it, Principles of the Harvest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the honor and privilege we have to call you Father, to know your Son as our Savior, to be gathered here in this house, and to be tuned in to your Word. And Lord, as we consider the days in which we live, the need at hand, the harvest that is very ripe, Lord, I pray this morning, Father, we would... Uh, be responsible as your people to be the salt and light you've called us to be. As we consider the field and the opportunity, help us, Lord, not to be those that sleep, but those that awake. Those that, Father, are not uh, ignorant to the days in which we live, but recognize our responsibility. I pray your blessing on this thought. Use it in every life, every heart, everyone who's listening and watching, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The principles of the harvest. Moms, we had a couple folk come in. They may still need that handout and or a pen. 
principles of a harvest. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read a second portion of scripture here in Matthew 9. And notice what's said here. Again, the Lord is speaking in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 37. Again, he's speaking as a farmer speaks. He's sharing a a story that's agricultural. I grew up a farm boy in Minnesota. This this makes sense to me. Look at what he says in Matthew 9, 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Notice his prayer. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, as we look across America this morning, you and I need to recognize we're living in a time of great unrest. And yet in this time of great unrest, we need to view it as it truly is. It's a time of great opportunity. I'm noticing some things as I'm out there across America, and I cover 35 states. Now, people have asked me, what, what has this year been like for you? As an evangelist, every week you're into another county, you're into another state. In fact, we just came from the left coast. We were in Portland. We were in Seattle. Uh, You even have some news here in Wisconsin, you know. But people say, what's it been like? I said, you know, the first six months of this year has felt like a year. It has just been intense. There's just been variables. Every week stands alone. You don't know what you're coming into and what's going to be greeting you and how you're to operate. I want to say this. I'm recognizing something. First of all, people in America, worldwide even, but America are dealing with fear. They are dealing with fear. There's a lot of fear out there. Number two, they're doubting the future. They're not really sure what's going to happen next. Could I say it this way? Uncertainty has become the currency of our day. But thirdly, I've recognized this. They're desiring fellowship. I remember as I came into an airport a few months ago, I flew into Boise, Idaho, and I had a little bit of a stop in Seattle. It was an empty airport. The little Delta agent that was there Uh, she was at the gate, nobody's standing there, and I just drifted over to talk to her. And I'm not kidding you, 20 minutes later, she still wanted to keep talking. I just moved that thing to the gospel. We're social creatures. You quarantine for any amount of time, you'll go nuts and everybody with you, amen? Uh, We're social by nature. I don't care who you are, that's just who we are. So people are desiring fellowship. And I want to say this. This day of unrest is a great day of opportunity. There's three principles about the harvest. We're talking about spiritual matters here. Principle number one is this. The field has only one owner. Write that in there. The field, the field of souls, if you will, has only one owner. Write that in. That's principle number one. The field has only one owner. Who is he? Well, we saw the answer in Matthew chapter 9. He's the Lord of the harvest. Write that down. He is the Lord of the harvest. This field is the Lord's field, has only one owner, and he's the Lord of the harvest. He says in Ezekiel 18.4, he says, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son. And listen to this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
Principle number one in our efforts as we consider the opportunity out there is this field has only one owner. He's the Lord of the harvest. Let me say this. You're not the owner. He is. You and I need to recognize this is not just any old field out there as we deal with souls. This is the king's field. That ought to change our attitude about our approach. It's not your field. It's not my field. I know we use that. But really it's the king's field. We're just stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. And I don't know about you, but once I recognize it's just not any field, it's just not any harvest, it's the king's field, it's the king's harvest, those are his souls. I don't know about you, but that just notches it up in my mind that I need to be a better steward about that field out there. It's not mine, it's his. It's like your church. I know we use the possessive word, my church, and Pastor Scotty would say, uh, our church or my church, but could I remind you, this isn't our church right here, this assembly, this is his church. Amen. This, this is not our field, it's his field. We're stewards. And that ought to change our attitude toward how we steward that and care for it. In the harvest field now ripened, There's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. The first principle that I think we need to lay as a benchmark is the field has only one owner. Number two, look at principle number two. The laborers should have only one desire. The laborers should have only one desire. What is that desire? Write this in. To promote and exalt Him. This Lord of the harvest. To do His will, not ours. Look in John chapter 4. Jesus Christ speaking here notes the priority in John chapter 4. And look at what He says in John 4 and verse number 34. The Lord Himself, our Savior Himself, in John 4 and verse 34 said this. He said, Jesus saith unto them, John 4, 34, "My, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, look at this, and to finish His work. You know our primary desire, our singular desire this morning as it pertains to the harvest, as it pertains to the field, should be to promote and exalt the Lord, not ourselves. To do His will, not our will. Boy, we are a self-willed people, aren't we? I mean, you think about our prayer life, and most of the time when we pray, we come to God, and we're trying to get Him to do our will. Lord, here's where I want to go. Here's what I want to do. Lord, here's who I want to be. And, and then what do we do? We ask God to come join us. That's most American Christianity prayer life. Lord, could you come in and put your blessing on what I want to do? Lord, here's what I want. Here's who I want to be. Here's where I want to go. Lord, could you come and bless me? You know, and that isn't how it ought to work. I mean, the day we get saved, we join his family. And you know what happens? He says to us, hey, now that you're saved and belong to me. Here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm doing. You come and join me. Amen? 
You know, I think oftentimes we get it reversed. God, you join me. Here's what I know. Lord says, why don't you just be quiet for a moment and get a hold of my heart and come join me and do my will rather than asking me to fulfill your will. Jesus did that. You are my salvation hung in the balance based on a Savior that came to do the will of his Father. Notice one of God's great desires. Second Peter, go there with me. In Second Peter, look at this. Principle 2, the laborer should have only one desire, and that is to promote and exalt him, to do his will, not ours, and look at one of God's great desires in Second Peter 3 in verse 9. He says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Second Peter 3, 9, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, very patient to usward, not willing, Second Peter 3, 9, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You know, one of our Father's great desires this morning is that people not perish. He doesn't want them to die and go to hell, and then eventually the lake of fire. His great desire is that people are saved and they do not perish. You know, go to Romans 10, and I want to move this really to make it personable here. And to make it personal, go to Romans 10. Notice how God's will became His will. I wonder this morning, is, is your desire to promote and exalt Him? Is your desire to fulfill His will rather than yours? And if it is, you should be able to say like Paul did after he got saved in Romans 10 and verse number 1. Listen to what he said. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is what? That they might be, say the word out loud, saved. Say the word out loud again, saved. Notice this desire the laborer had. Paul's desire, once he was saved, his desire lined up with God's desire. He wanted to see his people saved, speaking of the Jew. Is that your desire this morning? You say, well, that is my desire. I, I want to see my family get saved. I want to see my friends get saved. I want to see those at my workplace get saved. I want to see my neighborhood get saved. That's a good desire this morning because that's God's desire. That should be your and my desire. We, we shouldn't want to see people perish. We should want to see them get saved. You say, well, that is my desire. How do I take care of that? How do, how do I fulfill that? How do I see that happen? Go back to our text in Luke chapter 8. I want to give you something here, very practical, and it should be very, very helpful. In Luke chapter 8, we see the parable of the sower and the seed. Principle number one again, the field has only one owner. It's the Lord. It's the Lord's field. All souls are His. Principle number two, the laborers, that would be you and I, we should have only one desire. That is to promote and exalt Him and to do His will, not ours. And one of His desires is that people are saved. So here we come to principle number three. The sowers, as we look at this harvest field out there, church family, those of you viewing online, as you look at this harvest field, you need to recognize the sowers have only one task. Write that down. The sowers have only one task. What is the task 
What is the job of a sower? Write it in to sow the seed. That's it. Write it in to sow the seed. Notice it says in in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 5, the Bible says a sower went out to sow his seed. What is that seed? Well, verse number 11 tells us. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Listen, in the harvest out there, in the fields out there, you as a sower have one simple task, and that is to sow the seed. Not just any seed, but the seed of God's Word. You know, it's, it's interesting. Go to, go to Isaiah 55. Look at how powerful God's Word is. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I want to give you something very practical here in the days in which we live. As we look at the uncertainty of the day. As we look at fear that's ruling. As we look at all the variables out there. I want you to see a constant here. And it is the Word of God. A very powerful constant. Look at the power of the Word of God in Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. Isaiah 55, 8. God is describing himself. He's setting himself apart from us, and he's making a comparison. Look at what he says in Isaiah 55, 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. God operates very differently than mankind. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now watch this. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Go back to Luke with me. And I want, I want to notice something here. I'll just bring this to us personally here. and Make some application. You know the sowers have only one task. Sower has only one job. And that is to sow the seed. Amen. And the seed we sow isn't just any old seed. It's the word of God. It's a very powerful seed. Could I remind you, God doesn't call you to sow your word. He calls you to sow His word. Amen. Amen? It doesn't return void. That means it never went out without having something in return. It never returns empty. It never, it, 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 it's a constant. It is a constant in a day of variables. Now I want you to look at that parable. How many verses are in that parable? If you were to add up all the verses in that parable, not only the story that Jesus told, but also all the verses as he explained it, you'll find this to be a 12-verse section in your, in your Bible. 12 verses. You know how many of those verses are yours? Less than one. In that whole parable... And the explanation following. What's our part? Simply this. A sower went forth to sow the seed. Amen. That's it. Out of 12 verses, one half of one verse is your verse and my verse. And you know what? Let me just make this observation. And we can't even do that. 
that sad. That's all we have is sow it. You know, years ago, I, in my business in Alaska, I remember there came a day the president of the company came up and he uh, went ahead and toured my business. We had 43 guys working. It was a sales business. His name was Paul and a good friend of the Tebow family. Paul, Paul was a very unique guy. Uh, he loved the Lord and he came up to v- visit my company. And one day, second day he was there, he sat me down and he gave a little lesson to me. And he said, David, if you want to be successful, he said, in anything in life, you need to learn to control what you can control and stop trying to control what you can't. i never forget that moment. He said, you need to learn to control what you can control and stop trying to control what you can't. I, his nickname was Vidi. I said, what's that mean, Vidi? He said, well, it means this, David. In your business, he said, can you control who comes to your sales meetings? And I remember saying, no, I can't. They're 1099. They're contract labor. I can't command and steer them. That's illegal to require them to be at a sales meeting. He says, that's right. He said, you can't control who comes to your sales meeting. But can you control if you have a good sales meeting ready for those who, who do come? Well, I said, yeah, I can do that. I can prepare. I can have handouts. I can get ready and make sure I've made preparation. He said, that's right. See, here's what's going to happen, David. You're going to have a, a, a spell there. You're going to have a time where two, three, four days... Virtually nobody comes to your sales meetings. And if you're not careful, you're going to stare at that and begin to get upset by that. And then you're going to say this, why should I put a sales meeting together? They don't come anyhow. And then one day they come and you don't have a meeting ready. You know what they're going to say? Why should I come to his meetings? He never has anything here for me when I do come. And you create your own monster. Look at our parable. Look at what you can't control. Look at, look at Luke chapter 8. Look with me. Look at what's said here. Do you know you can't control the heart of the hearer? You can't control that. Could I get an amen? You can't control the heart. You can't control their response. What they do with the word when you give it. You can't control the amount of fruit that comes. When you sow the seed, you you can't control if there's going to be a lot of fruit, a little fruit, or no fruit. None of those things are in your my control. The only thing in our control is this. A sower went forth to sow the seed. Could I ask a serious question? Are you controlling what you can control? Concerning the Lord's field? Not your field. That's the king's field. Are you sowing the seed? That's all he gives us to do. All the rest of that stuff is his. Amen? He changes hearts. You don't. He's the one who brings fruit. You don't. Could you, y'all with me? I mean, we make this too hard. We use all those excuses. Well, they're not going to listen anyhow. That's not your responsibility. A sower went forth to sow the seed. Well, you know what a heart is? You're God big enough to figure out what's inside somebody? Are you kidding me? All God says, you sow something that I've promised to prosper. That's your part. You let me do my part. Amen? Amen? And our part is one-twelfth of that entire parable. Eleven-twelfths is God. So, as we move a little further in this thought, 
and I think this is important, there are a lot of ways, turn the page over and write these things down, there are a lot of ways to broadcast the seed. There are many ways to sow God's seed. First of all, you have tracts, and you can give those tracts out. Amen? That's what you can control. You can control the offer. You can control the track. Just yesterday, as we checked into the RV park, God just kind of put on my heart to go ahead and give some tracks out to some of the staff. In fact, as you guys are following me in, I, there was the, the owner. I gave the owner a tract. I gave him a DVD. I gave him my story. And I just, I have no idea what he's going to do with it. But you know what? I knew my part was to at least sow the seed. And so I sowed the seed. You say, well, he's going to throw it away. Well, there you go. That's one of the responses. It sits by the wayside. I can't control that. But I can't control if I give the seed. Tracks are one way. Church visitation, if you have it, is another way. Just knocking doors. Going ahead and... I remember, you remember a few years ago when I came, I shared the story of Pastor Gary Prisk, my mentor. And uh, he, was, he was a hippie. He burned down government buildings in San Francisco before he was saved, not after, all right? And the first time he heard the gospel, he got saved. And I remember him telling me one time, here he is in Los Angeles going to Bible college. And he said, he, he and Miss Cheryl, newly married, in their apartment in Los Angeles, and all of a sudden... There's a knock at his apartment door. He thought, well, who in the world is here? I don't even know anybody. He said he opened the door, and there's an African-American preacher with his Bible open to John 3.16. And he holds the Bible up to Brother Prisk, and he says, excuse me, sir, could you read that verse for me out loud? And he held it up for him, held his finger on John 3.16. Brother Prisk said, I, I read it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As soon as he read that verse out loud, that preacher looked at him and said, Do you believe that? Brother Priest said, I do. He said, I got saved just a couple years ago. I'm here in Bible class. Praise the Lord! That preacher said, You pray for me. I'm trying to tell others what Jesus can do for them. And he went to the house next door, the apartment... Knocked on the door. The lady answered the door. He held the Bible up, asked her to read John 3.16 out loud, and went ahead and asked her if she believed that. You say, what was that fella doing? He's sowing the seed. He's broadcast. That was his way. That was his way of doing it. And I've had people say it, and I shared this with you last time I was here. And I've had people say to me, well, I don't like your way. You know, I don't like giving out tracks. You give out tracks. Your Corvette, you know, this... You know, you're the weird evangelist. People ask you what you need a love offering for. Well, I need gas for my Corvette, you know. You're the weird one, you know. It's not with me, by the way. It's in museum in Allentown, Pennsylvania right now. But the tracks you develop, and the, I don't like how you do. I don't like your way. And you know what? That's fair. But what's your way? What's your way? Well, you know, you know I, I don't have a way. Well, then I like my way better than your way. Because my way gets the seed out. Yours just stuffs it in the barn. Hey, you remember what Spurgeon said? A Calvinist? A Calvinist who wrote a book called The Soul Winner. Remember what he said? Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. 
You really got saved. You really got rescued. You really escaped hell. You can't help yourself. You want to see others get out of hell too. Amen? Now I understand. You say, well, but people reject. And I don't, I hate rejection. I understand that. You say, I'm not a people person. Fine. Burn a stamp and mail tracks. Next time the sales rep calls you, get them to hang up, not you. Start telling them about Jesus saves. They'll bail on the conversation. Y'all with me? I mean, you got to, a sower went forth to sow the seed. We were talking to a guy in Virginia. He was the song leader at a little old country church that's pastored by an ex-drunk named Brother Brown. And I remember he's up there and he's, you ever see those little white Bibles called Holy Bible? They're just, they're, they're just a little bigger than a stamp. And the, the business this guy worked for had a pile of these Bibles. And he said there was one customer that would come into my business. I was a front desk guy. He was the meanest guy I've ever met. He was like a hell's angel on steroids. He was just bad dude, man. 300 pounds of bad. And everybody was afraid of him. And nobody wanted to talk to him. And nobody wanted to deal with him. And he said, here I am. I'm at the counter. And he said, we got this little thing of, of, with the Holy Bible, that little miniature Bible sitting there. And he's looking at, he's kind of looking at one. And the guy just, he said, I looked at him and I said, hey, he said, you can keep that. He said, it's free. Ah. He said, all right, and he put it in his pocket. A year and a half later, that guy came through, and that front desk guy didn't recognize him. The guy came up to him and said, do you remember me? No. He completely changed demeanor, completely changed everything about him, and he said, I grabbed one of those little Bibles, and you told me I could have one, so I took it, put it in my pocket. About a month later, I found it, started reading it. He said, a few months ago, I got saved. A sower went forth to sow the seed. That's all we have to do. I'm going to give you something here that will encourage you too. I developed a track, and uh, this one is entitled, Hello, My Name is David, and This is My Story. All right, I'm just going to pass a few out. Sorry, camera. If you're in your home, you should have just been here. Then you could see me as I wander, all right? So I'll just pass a few out, all right? And you can just look at that real quickly, all right? Here you go. Dr. Scotty, sorry, I ran out. Max, you can go ahead and keep that. And just take a moment just to read that. It's my short story. This is another way I've found to give the word. There are two verses in there. It's entitled, Hello, My Name is David, and this is my story. And as you're reading that, you need to recognize when you say to me or somebody says to me, I really don't know what to tell somebody concerning the Lord. Why don't you tell them what happened to you? I was in Alabama here a few months ago, about three months ago. Went by the post office, did my mail out. A couple people in line behind me, and I had that tracked. And I turned to the lady, and I said, uh, what's your name? And she said, well, my name's whatever it was. Well, my name's David, and this is my story. I think you'll like it because it's got a real happy ending. She took that thing right in front of me and just started reading it. 
I was going to leave. And all of a sudden I go, oh, okay, I'll wait. So I waited, and she just read all the way through it, flipped it over, read the other side. She got done, and this is what she said to me. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I have a great need. And so I prayed for her. A few, a, a few weeks later, I was in Oak Harbor, Washington. Did the same thing. Three people in line behind me handed. I said, what's your name? And she gave me her name, a little Filipino girl. I said, well, my name's David, and this is my story. I think you'll like my story. It's got a real happy ending. She took that thing, and with people in line behind me, she pa- I was going to leave the counter. I was done. She paused, and she started reading it. She reads it all the way through, turns it over, reads the other side, and then she smiles. She says, I said, do you like my story? She said, I love your story. Your story is my story. She was saved. I'm on my third printing of that thing, and let me say this. Let me just say this. I have for a year and a half been giving those tracts out. I've yet to have my first person reject it. There's something irresistible. There's something curious. They want to know your story. Now, before you dismiss that, do you realize Paul did that all through the book of Acts? He would stand before kings and they would say, hey, what's up with you? He said, let me tell you my story. (laughs) I was on the road to Damascus and and he just repeats his testimony of how he became a believer. Their responses varied. One man said, thou art mad, you know. King Agrippa, I think, was the one who said that. Maybe it was Festus. I don't remember. But all through the book of Acts, that was one of Paul's ways to witness. And here's the thing. Isn't the song so true? I love to tell the story of unseen things above. It's true. If you're saved, you got a story. Tell your story. There's something powerful about that. Go to the book of John. Watch this. In the book of John chapter 4, a woman tells her story. And look at the result in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, look at the result of her simply telling her story, her meeting with Jesus Christ. In John 4, verse number 39. In John chapter 4, in verse number 39. This is the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. She meets the Lord. Look what's said in verse 39 of John 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. She repeated the story of her confrontation with Christ. Look at, though, look at how this grows. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. You know what your story ought to do? It ought to prompt people to consider Christ's story. Amen? Amen? It ought to prompt them to consider heavenly things with your earthly story of a Savior that saved you. It's very powerful. I wrote this down. Maybe you want to go ahead and write this down. Number one, what are some of the advantages of sharing your story? Well, first of all, it's your story. It makes it very personal. It makes it very passionate. But show of hands real quickly. I want to just ask you a question this morning. Everybody listening? Everybody with me? How many of you have a story about being saved? Just raise your hand. Amen? I've got a story. I know when I got saved. You know what? That's personal. That's powerful. Amen? It's your story. Number two, it's hard to discredit. 
it is very hard to discredit your story. People can't look at you and say, well, I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe that? I was there. It happened to me. Amen. Your story is very hard to discredit. Number three, write this one down. It's very hard to reject. It's easy to toss a religion aside, but they have to reject you. It's your story. Amen? It's very hard to reject a personal thing given by somebody. Number four, it causes them to consider their story. They have to stop and think, well, that's their story. If I wrote out mine, would mine have the same happy ending? They got to think about their story. And number five, it's very easy to build on. I go ahead and sometimes when I'll meet somebody, I'll give them my story. And then the next time I come through, maybe the next day, maybe I'm in a coffee shop, I always go ahead and give them the next one, which is, hey, here's something. How'd you, I will say, how'd you like my story? And they'll, they'll tell me what they thought of my story. That tells me if they read it or not. And if they read it and they say, well, I like your story. I said, well, here's something to cause you to consider your story. And I give them that. And I hope your story is my story. I hope it's got the super happy ending. Amen? It's very powerful. Yeah. You can build on it. I'll give them a church tract. It sounds weird, but because I travel everywhere, I don't start with a church tract. I start with my story. Then I move to the church later because I want them to just get that story. You say, how hard is it? Well, it's, it's not hard. If I'm meeting you and out in the public, you say, what's your name? Carol. Carolyn? Carol. Carol. Well, my name's David, and this is my story. I served in the Marine Corps, and I'm from Alaska, but you're going to like my story because it's got a really happy ending. That's all I say. That's all you do. You know, there's a lot of ways to give that seed. There's a lot of ways to sow the seed. And this has become another one, and I want to encourage you to think about your story. Who's ever written their story out just said you know what I've written my testimony out who's ever done that isn't that powerful you're already halfway there it would be so easy to just get that set up to where you can start sharing your story with people and the next thing you know they start thinking about their story and they consider his story amen three principles of the harvest principle number one is the field has only one owner He's the Lord of the harvest. Those souls are his, and you and I are stewards. Principle number two, the laborers should have only one desire. That's to promote and exalt him and to do his will. And principle number three, the sowers have only one task. And that is to sow the seed of God's word. Amen? And this day we're in, let's let's focus on what we can control. Amen? Let's not focus on what we can't control. Let's focus on what we can control. A sower went forth to sow the seed. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.